Well, with those uh, weighty passages, let's uh, bring our hearts and minds before our Lord in prayer. Well, God, this topic uh, and these passages are weighty, uh, full of wonderful things and things that are hard for us to grasp and believe. We are so fragile and broken. We misunderstand so much. We are confused by so much. We struggle with so much. And so we ask this morning that you would be kind to us, that as you do every time we open your word, that you would speak clearly and powerfully. By your spirit, you would transform us. Give us joy and trust in you. Help us to understand more of life in this world and the wonderful things you have prepared for us. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, we're in the third week of our summer series, Five Dumb Things Smart Christians Believe. And did you hear the tension in that topic? Uh, Five things that smart, well-educated, well-thought-out Christians believe that more and more in our culture are thought to be just plain dumb ideas. And so two weeks ago, our youth pastor, Tim Schooler, kicked us off by looking at the topic of Jesus. His mum was really a virgin. Uh, And then last week, our senior minister, Pete Stedman, looked at the topic of Jesus, the only way to God. And today we look at the topic of Jesus, then why all the suffering in the world? And I think as I say that, we're clear that that's a hard topic, as Dave's uh, signaled for us already. Because you only have to live a little while in the world to know that there is pain and suffering, whether you see it in your life or in the lives of those around you, those you work with, those you love. It is a hard topic. And it was all the more hard for me preparing this sermon this week because on Tuesday, Jane and I went to the funeral of a dear old friend, an extraordinary Christian woman. Now, she hasn't written any books. Uh, She didn't speak at any conferences. But she, with her husband, was so full of kindness and generosity and joy in Jesus. But on Christmas Day, she lost a terrible six-year battle with cancer and so on Tuesday Jane and I went with several hundred others to grieve with her husband and her four boys and it is just so sad and so when we say today that our topic is Jesus then why all the suffering in the world it's not an abstract philosophical question is it it's real and painful and personal We need answers. I need answers. You need answers. And what we don't need is simplistic, formulaic answers because they don't help us and in our culture they sound dumb. Now what we need today is to be reminded to find the life-sustaining hope that Jesus offers us in this pain, this world of pain and suffering. So we're just going to touch on three things. It's a massive topic. We can't cover it all, but three things I want us to see today, and they're on the outline uh, if you're following along. First of all, a broken world full of broken, painful lives. Secondly, Jesus comes to us in this world of pain and suffering. And thirdly, Jesus gives us a glorious hope. So first of all, uh, a broken world full of painful, broken lives. See, when we see a tsunami roll in from the ocean and swallow up thousands of lives, when an earthquake rips a nation apart, when you see a friend cut down in the prime of their life by some horrible disease, it just doesn't make sense. And so part of us asks, well, what on earth did they do to deserve that? But there's another question behind that. There's a more brutal, nasty question beneath that. 
It's, did they deserve that? Did they do something to deserve that? Are they being punished for something that they did? Do people suffer as punishment for their sin? At one level, it's fairly simple. I mean, if, if we gossip and criticize people, then we shouldn't be surprised if they ignore us and, and cast us aside and we become lonely. Or if a husband cheats on his wife and destroys his marriage and breaks up his family, he shouldn't be surprised if he ends up in a dodgy little apartment all alone, lonely and bitter and full of uh, crippling legal bills. He shouldn't be surprised by that. So in one sense that sometimes uh, it's a very clear equation, isn't it, that sin leads to suffering. People suffer because of what they've done. But you know what the problem with that is? If, if that's all we say, if that's most of what we say, then we end up saying, if you're suffering, it's your fault. You're suffering, you're being punished for something that you did. And that's religion, not Christianity. Religion says, if you're good, you'll get good things. If you're bad, you'll get bad things. That's religion. I heard the story of a pastor in the United States, large church. He taught that if you had enough faith, then God would bless you with wealth and health And then his wife got cancer. And they said, well, we're believing that she'll get well. And when she didn't, and she got sicker and sicker, and it became clear that it was terminal, did he change his bad theology? No, he publicly rebuked her for not having enough faith to beat the cancer. Not only is that plain wrong, it is wicked and cruel. And that's what religion does. Religion says, if you're suffering, it's because you have been bad. But Jesus gives us a bigger story. We we saw it in uh, Luke 13 that we read, the first of the passages there. It would be helpful if you have that open in front of you. Do you remember Jesus talking to the crowds about two horrible events? The first was uh, a massacre of Galileans by the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. And the second horrible event was this tower fell on a bunch of people and crushed them to death. And at first glance, what Jesus says seems very harsh, doesn't he? He says, verse 5, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. It sounds harsh until we look at what he's really saying, because when we see what Jesus is really saying, it cuts through our confusion, our muddy thinking. Jesus says, look, verse 2, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? And, and, and verse 4, all those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? Did you see what he's saying? Did you actually think that they were worse sinners than everyone else? Did you, are you actually saying that they got punished for something that they did, that they were so bad that that's why it happened to them? Do you see what he's saying? Do you actually think that? And of course the answer is no. God is not like that. So so what does Jesus mean when he says, but unless you repent, you too will all perish? He's pointing us to the bigger story in the world, that we live in this broken world, which is under judgment and frustration, that we're by nature living separate from God. Because God is good and kind and generous and he gave us this amazing world to enjoy to enjoy him and to enjoy each other but ever since genesis 3 ever since adam and eve eve pushed god aside and said we want to be god our world is broken and fallen and under judgment and so jesus says when you see horrible things happen it's a wake-up call 
It's a reminder to see that this world isn't right, that we're living separate from God. The Christian writer C.S. Lewis said that pain and suffering is God's alarm bell or megaphone to rouse a deaf and dying world. And so when we see horrible things happen, the point is not for us to say, what did they do to deserve that? That doesn't help us. That doesn't lead anywhere useful. The point is for us to wake up, to realize that this world isn't okay, that I'm not okay, that you're not okay, and to turn our eyes to Jesus. Because only there does God really meet us and speak to us in our pain and suffering. So secondly, Jesus comes to us in this world of pain and suffering. See, I reckon it's hard for us, actually no, it's impossible for us to digest, to take in all the pain and suffering in this world. When you think about it, people lose their jobs, then lose their homes, or families are places of neglect and violence and abuse and brokenness. And there are millions upon millions of refugees in this world who were cast out of their homes by wars that they didn't start or ask for and they are left adrift, suffering in poverty. And there are millions more living in poverty, feeling like they are forgotten and ignored. And it just goes on and on and on. And it is too much for us to watch, to take in, to process. And so we do the very human thing, don't we? We block it out. We, we change the channel. We distract ourselves. We divert ourselves. But friends, you know, God sees it all. God knows it all. God hears it all. God feels it all. There is no break, no relief for him. He never ignores. He never overlooks. He never downplays. He never minimizes. And so his solution is that he sent his son into this world. Jesus came into this world of pain and tears and walked amongst us. And there were times, if you read the Gospels, when Jesus drove back the darkness, when when he healed the sick or he cast out demons or he raised the dead or he defended the weak. Little glimpses, little insights into what this world should be like, what the kingdom of God should be like, will be like. But Jesus knew all that was only temporary because Jesus knew that there was a road, a path that only he could walk. That he was alone in that sense. Can you imagine what that would have been like for him? To be in the world, to be amongst the crowds milling around him, to see and feel their life, to have his disciples around him for three years and yet know that he was terribly alone. Because Jesus knew that only he could walk to the cross to die for our sins. And so when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was overwhelmed with anguish that he sweat drops of blood. And he cried out to his father, Father, if there's any other way to do this other than me dying, if there's any other way to rescue the world than me dying, then take this cup, take this cross from me. But if there's no other way, let your will be done, not mine. And so Judas, a friend, came and betrayed him with a friend kiss of friendship. Jesus was arrested, abandoned by his disciples. Then the beating and mocking started, the show trial, the dodgy trial, and then his death on the cross. And dying for the sins of the world upon the cross in such pain and suffering, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Can you imagine that? To be the Son of God. To have been there at the creation of the universe. To made all things. To be the light and life of the world. Full of grace and truth. And to be betrayed and abandoned in the world. And yet, and don't miss this. Jesus chose all this. It wasn't forced upon him. It wasn't an accident. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit planned it from all eternity. This was the rescue plan. And so Jesus' death was not an embarrassing blip. And suffering in this world is not an embarrassing blip. As if we were left unprepared. No, because it was into this world of pain and tears that Jesus came and lived and walked and died and rose. And so here's the thing. In our pain, in your tears, in your questions, in your doubts, Jesus gently turns your eyes to the cross. Not, not to say, look at how I suffered, so you should just get over it. No. No, to say, you, you know that you're never alone. I'm not cold to your pain, Jesus says. I'm not blind to your tears. I'm not deaf to your cries. For Jesus has experienced a pain and suffering far beyond any of our ability to comprehend or grasp. And he did it for us. And so he walks with us. So as you go through pain, sure, your friends and family, your church may not quite get it. I remember talking to a guy six months after his father had died. And he said, look, when we did the funeral, it was great. Everyone was around us. They were encouraging and supportive. But it feels like everyone has just moved on now. And that's kind of right, isn't it? People's lives move on and yet he's still grieving. But Jesus never moves on from you. He walks with you. So you see your friends and family, your church might not quite get what you're going through, but Jesus does and he walks with you. And only he gives us this glorious hope. There's a verse in Romans chapter 8 which I think is wonderfully Outrageous! The Apostle Paul, uh, writing in this world of pain, writing with the knowledge that Jesus has conquered all, he writes this in verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Do you see how outrageous that is? I consider that our present sufferings, our pain and tears are not worth comparing. They're not in the same ballpark. They don't bear mentioning compared to the glory that awaits us. They will be revealed in us. How can that be? Well, the next verse says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. The glory that awaits us is so great because we are the children of God. So great that the creation is waiting for that glory to come. So, so friends, God has more planned for you than pain and tears. That suffering is not the final word in this world. Life is not to be an endless cycle of pain and suffering generation on generation because there is a day of redemption coming. There is a day of glory coming. So I want you to do this with me. I want you to remember a time when you were wonderfully happy. A time when you were content and all was good in the world. Can you picture something? Just, just let that sit for a while. Feel, feel that happiness again, what it felt like. Now, now take that 
and multiply its intensity by infinity and its length by eternity. Multiply its intensity by infinity and its length by eternity and we have a taste, a a glimpse of the glory that awaits us. So, So picture that day when Jesus returns and we're standing before the throne of God and we can hear the voice of many angels and the cry of every longing heart, worthy is the Lamb, Jesus. And we are full of joy and praise and worship And it is a million times more amazing than we could ever have imagined, more than we expected. And and then you turn and you see that friend who dived into the ocean and came out a paraplegic. Or or that work colleague who died of a brain tumour in their 30s. Or that Iraqi Christian who was beheaded by ISIS. And you say to them, gee, it's great to be here, isn't it? But didn't we cop it bad in that previous world, in the old world? Didn't we cop it bad? And they'll say to you, what are you talking about? I'm aware of something that you're mentioning, but I don't quite recall what you're talking about. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The glory that awaits us that will be revealed in us is so great that the pain we've experienced now will fade. Is that hard to believe? Is that hard to grasp? Verse 19 reminds us, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. The glory that awaits us is so great. It's not a little top-up or a little refresher. It is so great that the whole creation, the whole universe is waiting, is straining, standing on tippy-toes, peeking through the curtain for it to come. And so God gives us a picture of what that will be like in Revelation 21. It's our second reading, so I'd love for you to turn there with me. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. It's not like when people paint or render a house to make it look new. It's still the same house, but they've put a new cover on it. It's not like when someone's trying to sell a car and they touch up the scratches to make it look new. No, it's a whole new heaven and earth. And verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. God will live with us, dwell with us, and we will enjoy him forever. And then verse 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Wow. The God of the universe, the God who holds the universe in his arms, the God of might and power, the God of compassion and mercy, will take us like a father takes their child on his knee and will wipe every tear from our eyes. Why? Because there will, look at this with me, second half of verse 4, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Why? For the old order of things has passed away. 
that all belongs to the old order, the, the order we live in now of that we live and laugh and die and suffer in, that will all be gone. It's past, it's used by date. It is done. It has expired. It does not belong. It is gone. And friends, as we live in this world of pain and tears and you hear something like that, doesn't it make your heart cry out, come, Lord Jesus, come. Well, I started this morning telling you about the funeral that Jane and I went to. I remember about eight years ago standing with the lady's husband at the back of church and we were singing this song, Never Alone. Uh, the final verse goes like this. Never alone is now our cry, in joy, in grief, in lonely sin. Never alone, for Christ is ours. He lives in us and we live in him. Until we reach that final day when fears are gone, cast far away, we'll live secure, trust in his love. Never alone, Christ is with us. He is with us. And as we sang that song, the two of us standing up the back of the room, he turned to me with tears in his eyes and he said, I just love that song because it reminds me that I'm never alone. And I knew that there was real weight in that comment. There wasn't one of those throwaway lines. It wasn't flippant. There was real weight in it. Because long before his wife got cancer, they had been through some things that would put most of us on our knees in despair. And he was so thankful that he was never alone. And so as I've prayed for him this week, my prayer has been that as he grieves his best friend, the love of his life, the mother of his children, he will know that he is never alone because Jesus walked this earth of pain and tears and walks with him today. And my prayer for us, for those of you who are going through that pain and suffering and you're struggling, for those of you for whom it's yet to come, my prayer for us is that we would know that we are never alone because Jesus walked this world of pain and tears for us and he walks with us today and he offers us a glorious hope. Amen. Let me pray. Well, Lord God, we have walked today in the midst of so much pain and so many scars the experience of life in this world. The longer we live, the more funerals we go to, the more suffering and pain we see. The more TV we watch, the more news that we're aware of, the more pain and suffering we see. And it seems to just go on and on and on. And we would lose hope. We would despair. But for your love and grace poured out upon us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that Jesus came into this world and he suffered and died for us to forgive our sins and to bring us into relationship with you that he walks with us in the midst of our pain and suffering, that he understands and that he offers us this glorious hope, that we can honestly, truly say that our present sufferings do not compare with the glory to be revealed in us. And so we long for that day and we cry out, Come, Lord Jesus, come. In whose name we pray. Amen.